0: and welcome to the Destiny Church Podcast. We trust that this will be a great encouragement to you and build your faith. Enjoy today's message. Kingdom company. That is our theme or our vision for 2022. This this concept or better yet, this determination, right? That we are going to be kingdom-minded families. That we are going to be a kingdom-minded and kingdom-focused body of believers. And so we've been learning and receiving exactly what that means and what that looks like over the last few weeks. And Jesus mentioned the word kingdom and his kingdom all throughout his ministry because he came to establish his lordship here on this earth. And that is why the God of... What is that? Man, yes, Lord. Amen. Yes. Woo. That is why the king and the Lord of all creation came down to this earth in the form of a man. It was to establish his kingdom and build a relationship with his people, right? The very ones that he formed out of the dirt, out of, the dirt of the earth and that he breathed breath into. And that's why, it's, that's why Jesus went around and the accounts of the four gospels mentioned the word kingdom 126 times. Jesus was focused on the kingdom of God, right? So we too should probably be focused on the kingdom, Amen. And it wasn't, Jesus didn't come down here to rule and to reign over his people with this authoritative persona, right? He didn't come down here and and demand that we follow when we abide by these rules and these regulations and these laws, but he came down in the flesh just like you and I are to commune with his people. He didn't come to abolish the law that had already been established, right? But he came to fulfill the law. He did this so that we would see a different view of what we think a king should be. And remember, he came to serve, not to be served. And he loves and he sacrifices and he makes a way and he meets the needs and he provides for the ones that he cares about and he loves, even to the point of kneeling down and washing his disciples' feet, right? those aren't characteristics and views that we typically think of when we think of a king, right? Like, like would a king actually do that? Would he submit to others? Would he love them? Would he, you know, would he just automatically, or would he automatically demand respect? See, our typical view of a king isn't the characteristics that Jesus possesses. And we've been reminded of this the last few weeks, what and where the kingdom of God actually is, that Jesus has Lord of this kingdom, that he reigns and has been given all authority on earth and in heaven. And Pastor Mark has taught us that in context, a more accurate interpretation of what scripture means when it uses the word kingdom, is that it's more about reign, R-E-I-G-N, than it is realm, right? Or location. It's more about what reigns within us than it is about an actual location. And Mark's been doing a really good job of explaining that the last couple of weeks. And remember, God's purpose for his people is to save a people for himself. Or God's purpose is to save a people for himself, right? And then to renew the world for his chosen people. You guys believe that? So Pastor Mark has emphasized the last couple of weeks, two ways in which God is establishing or has already established his kingdom. And the first one is this, that God's heavenly kingship on earth was established through the cross that it was established through Jesus, through his death and through his resurrection. And his kingdom is then established within our hearts as believers when we surrender to Jesus and fully allow him to be Lord of our lives. Would you all agree? So it's established whenever Jesus came in the form of a man, he was crucified on the cross, he was, he was telling his disciples, I'm establishing my kingdom on earth, but it's established in our hearts when we fully submit to his authority in our lives. And as we do that, we accept an invitation into the kingdom of heaven. And by his spirit that's at work within us, we begin to live as citizens of heaven. The second way that God is going to establish his kingdom is when he returns and creates a new heaven because he is returning church. Amen. You guys agree with that? Yeah. Something to cheer about. And as believers, we should be expectant for the coming of Christ and we should long for the day when he comes and makes all things new. So this week we're going to be continuing in our series titled Royals. And I got to ask, have y'all been truthfully now? Have y'all been enjoying the series? Yeah. You guys have? That's good. Anybody else experiencing a little bit of conviction in the last couple of weeks other than me, right? Hey, man, Pastor Mark has been hitting some good hardcore biblical truth, right? We, and we should leave convicted. That's good. He's doing his job. He's a pastor. He should be doing that, right? Do you guys agree? But listen, we, we've been we've been reviewing some things in the last couple of weeks, um, and we've learned the value and the significance of the Sabbath. We've learned that we should hold it in just as high as regard as one of the commandments as we do that thou shalt cannot or those sh- excuse me thou shalt not commit murder or commit adultery. It's just as important that we honor the Sabbath as it is that we don't murder. Right? You guys remember that scripture? And then we learned last week about how there is no room in the kingdom of heaven for unforgiveness, that we've been exposed to unlimited grace and unlimited forgiveness, and all of our debt has been paid. Therefore, since we are members and heirs to this kingdom, we're to bestow unlimited forgiveness, right? So the premise of this entire series and our entire theme for 2022, this kingdom company, is really it's an exhortation or it's a charge to cultivate kingdom-driven relationships in our own lives and more importantly, in our homes. And this is only going to transpire when we surrender and we fully allow Christ to become Lord of our lives. And I have to ask you this question, church. I'm I'm challenging because I think Mark's been doing a really, really good job. You know what? We should be able to come in here, hear the word, hear a biblical truth, and it should transform, and it should make us think, and it should challenge us to walk out of these walls differently than we came in. Amen? It's not enough to come in here and hear a feel-good message and get some accolades and get an attaboy and walk out not transformed. We should be convicted by the word of God to where we want to transform and change our life. Would you guys agree? So I'm going to challenge you guys this morning. I want you to ask some questions. And I've got to ask this morning, do your lives illustrate that you belong to Jesus? Does the way that you live your life illustrate that you're a follower of Jesus? and that Jesus is the decision maker and the culture creator for our lives and for our homes. Do we truly give him reign and rule over our lives? Is he truly our master and our Lord? And if your answer is no, or you're doubting that this morning, or you're questioning that this morning, then I have to ask you the question that's been asked for generations, why not? Why have you not allowed him full capacity in your life? Why have you not allowed him to be the full reign, and king of your life. And I can't answer that for you. Only you have the ability to answer that. But if we're going to be a kingdom-minded church, and if our kingdom focus is going to be our theme and our illustration for 2022, we're going to have to acknowledge that there's a calling and a responsibility and a role on our lives as individuals, as Jesus followers, that we have to do something, right? That there's purpose, amen? Amen. Hey, I'm not I'm not up here to, like to 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 demean you and and to get onto you. I want some I want some reception, right? Because I'm encouraged by this message. I've been convicted putting this message together, and I'm just passionate about doing that. I want to illustrate it to you. Like, listen, we have a responsibility. We have a calling on our lives. If we're truly going to walk in the capacity of kingdom minded and kingdom focused followers of Christ, then we have a role, and we have a responsibility, and we have purpose. Amen. You guys agree with that this morning? This is why Paul wrote to numerous churches and he gave instructions on how to live a life that keeps Christ as the focus. It's why we have the living word of God. And it's why Paul wrote letters to the church leaders defining the roles of pastors and deacons. He instructed us as Christ followers to manage our households well. So it must be important, right? And it must be vital to our walk as believers that we understand and follow what the word of God says. This is why Paul was so adamant about it and he was willing to die for the sake of the gospel. It's why he was so determined to write letters to the churches and emphasize and expose them to the knowledge and to the will of God in their lives. Because just like Jesus knew it was going to be crucial and vital to us, Paul knew it was going to be crucial and vital for us to keep Christ in the center of our focus. Because when we do that, we honor and we glorify the kingdom of heaven. Amen? That's why the four gospels emphasize what the kingdom is supposed to reflect. Because the kingdom is Christ, right? And if the kingdom is Christ and we're to be a reflection of the kingdom, then we are to reflect Christ. Amen? Amen? And the Lord deeply cares about the conditions of our families. And he's given us the word and the truth of exactly what our families are supposed to look like. And if we want to maximize the kingdom impact that we have and that our family has and that our churches have and that our community has, then there has to be a shift in the perspective and there has to be a shift in whom is Lord of our family, right? Because when there's a shift, then we begin to understand and we begin to view our king differently. We don't look at our king as this authoritative perspective, right? Who demands stuff from us. Our, our focus begins to shift and we begin to honor Jesus out of reverence and out of awe because of his greatness, because of his love for who he is and for what he's done, because Jesus is ultimately sovereign overall, Right? And it's not because he forces us to to respect him and to honor him and to allow him in. He doesn't demand our honor and praise like a typical king would. That's not how our Jesus works. He doesn't reign and roll over us with a force. His ultimate desire is this, church. He says, I give you free will. And all I ask is that you invite me in. Invite me into your heart and allow me to be the Lord and the king of your life. We don't honor and submit to him out of fear, right? We don't honor and submit to him because he forces us to. We don't honor him and submit to him because of his authority or because he demands respect from us, right? So why do we honor and submit to Jesus? We do it out of love. We submit to Jesus out of love. So we've looked at kingdom how the kingdom families honor the Sabbath. We've looked at kingdom families and and how they honor forgiveness. And today I wanna look about, or I wanna take a look at what kingdom love looks like. Once again, I'm gonna ask you guys some questions this morning. We're challenging um, this body of believers. I want you to ask yourself this question. Does the way that I love others reflect that Christ is Lord of my life? Does the way that I love others reflect that Christ is Lord of my life? And maybe you're sitting there debating that this morning and maybe your answer is a good indicator to whether or not Jesus is actually Lord of your life. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this opportunity. Lord, I pray that we just take this message, Lord, not in offense, but in a, in, a, in a convicting manner to where we can just be your people, that you have your way in us this morning father we don't want to just come in here week after week and leave unchanged god we want to be renewed by your word we want to be renewed by our minds by our hearts and god pray that you just open our hearts penetrate our souls this morning to receive your word to apply it to our life to love the way that you intended us to love and god we give you all the praise and all the glory and i pray that this church fosters kids in jesus name amen Hey Pastor Mark sent me a text right before we started first service. He said, make sure you pray for fostering kids. Um, And I said, yes, sir, I will. He's my boss. He's my authority. So I got to respect it, right? And I told first service this, this is a side note, but I think it kind of leads up to just a little bit of what I kind of want to talk about today. You know, I'll be honest, like that's not something that Mandy and I are passionate about. Like it's not, it's not our drive to foster kids. It's good. It's great. And God bless you all who do that. We need you. We need more of you to do that but like my passion and my desire is getting on the men right i mean that's where that's where like my heart lies um but pastor marks passionate about that but just because pastor marks passionate about it and i'm not we don't allow that to divide us right it's still a good thing and pastor mark is is um he's determined that this church and this community is going to be the community that goes out and fosters kids and it's going to change the nation and amen i can get on board with that but it's not one of those things where we have to let it cause division amongst us. So I'm going to honor his perspective in that, and he's going to honor my perspective and the views that I have, right? Does that kind of make a little bit of sense? Because it's going to kind of lead up just to a little bit of what I want to talk about today. And if you've been married, or if you're getting married, or if you've been in church for a little bit of time, then you've probably heard of Corinthians 13, also known as the love chapter. You guys have heard of that? So if you got, brought your Bibles this morning, um, turn with me to Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 13. We're going to be in verses 1 through 13. I'm going to read the entire chapter. Um, I'll read it really fast so you guys can follow along um, on the screen or you can follow along in your Bible this morning. I love how Paul starts off Corinthians 13. He says, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. We don't want to follow just any way. We want to follow the most excellent way, right? And Paul's reiterating this. He's like, listen, listen to this because I'm going to show you the most excellent way. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men or angels, but I do not love, I'm nothing. I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not love, I gain nothing. Love is, I did this for a service. I couldn't even say it. I'm not even gonna act like I'm gonna stand up here and be a hypocrite and preach to y'all like you gotta have this word because I don't have this word. I don't want this word. I don't wanna pray for this word in my life. But love is, thank you. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. By the way, don't pray for patience unless you actually mean it. Amen. But love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs, amen. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it too will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child and I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put away the ways of childhood behind me. For now we can see only a reflection as in the mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I'm fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. So Pastor Mark and I got to collaborate just a little bit on this message um, this week. And we both kind of found it interesting at the exact placement of chapter 13 um, in Corinthians. And obviously it's between chapter 12 and 14, right? Like that's not some spiritual revelation that we receive. Like, man, the Lord told me it's in between 12 and 14. First group got that a little bit more. They laughed a little bit harder than you guys did. It wasn't a spiritual awakening, um, but I believe it is literally on purpose. It's placed forget the numerical value of it. I actually believe that this is intentionally and purposely placed exactly where it is in the book of Corinthians. And I'm gonna tell you why. Because in chapter 12, Paul gives evidence of the Corinthians' lack of love in the utilization of the spiritual gifts. So chapter 12 is that. Chapter 13, we just just read it. It defines what real love actually is. And in chapter 14, Paul shows us how that real love works and how the order of service is to be applied. So just a little bit of background to set the stage up for today's message. So Paul, he's an apostle of Jesus, right? Which means he goes out and he preaches the good news, okay? So he goes out and he goes into the city of Corinth. And he, he exposes the gospel. He teaches the good news of Christ, right? And people receive it and they start believing it. So Paul establishes a church in the city of Corinth known as the Corinthian church, right? So Paul leaves to go on to continue to um, spread the gospel of Jesus, but he receives word later on that the Corinthian church aren't walking in the ways that they're supposed to be walking in. They're not, they're not living at the biblical truth that Paul left them with. So he receives word of this. So what he does is he has to write them a letter, which is known as first Corinthians. And he sends this letter back to the church and says, listen, knock it off. This is what you guys are supposed to be doing. Because what has happened was division was taking place among the church. Okay. Arguments and all these things were breaking out. There was, there was debates and there was jealousy. Um, Sexual immorality was rampant within the church. Um, Incest was actually even happening inside the church and the church was saying it was okay. Um, there was misunderstandings. There was jealousy, but people were divided um, to a point where who they wanted to listen to. Hey, we're following the teachings of Paul, but we're following the teachings the teachings of Apollos. And hey, man, we listen to Kanye. He's better than all the rest of them. There was all this dissension and all these arguments. Believers were suing other believers, and there was all this chaos going on and on and on. And there was division over the spiritual gifts that were given. There was even division between what you could eat and what you could drink. That's how petty this stuff it sounds absolutely delusional, right? It sounds like complete dysfunction, right? <laughs> but truthfully, I'll be honest, church, it doesn't sound much different than today, does it? It doesn't sound very much different from where we're at today. So in chapter 12, Paul defines and he emphasizes the gifts of the Holy Spirit, Right? We learned that a few months ago. We talked about, you guys remember that? We taught on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So that's chapter 12. So Paul says, hey, you know what? Whenever you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're gifted a gift. The Spirit has something in store for you that you're to utilize to be able to further the kingdom of God. And Paul says, it's this, it's the gift of prophecy. It's the gift of healing. It's the gift of speaking in tongues. It's all these things. So chapter 12 is how he defines the gift and the expression to what each gift specifically does. And I love how in chapter 12, Paul uses the example as the church, he relates it to being a body, right? And he says, listen, you've been given a gift. The moment that you accepted Christ in your life, he's gifted you something, okay? Now he's, he, he's comparing it to, to a body because each part of the body has a specific function, right? It has a specific title. It's incorporated together to be able to come together in completeness, in unity, to be able to form the entire body, right? Right? You guys tracking with me this morning? Like it takes all five toes on each foot, right? But what was taking place was, in the church of Corinth at the time, people were mad because they were a little toe and they wanted to be a big toe. And Paul says, listen, you gotta have the little toe. Every single part of the body is important because if you ain't got the little toe, you're gonna fall over. But what happened, I love how he compares it to the body because he says each part has a specific purpose and a specific placement within the body because it completes the entire body. When you come together and you walk in your purpose and you walk in your calling and you do what you've defined to do, your whole body is productive and effective, right? your physical body. But he's relating that to the church. And what he's saying is, listen, you have a calling on your life, a spiritual gift that God has given you. You need to walk in that calling because you have a role and a responsibility to further the kingdom of God, right? But what people were doing was they were getting mad about it. They were causing division and they were, caught, they were being decisive in there. They were manipulating the gifts because they wanted to get it for their own selfish gain and their own sinful nature and it was causing division and strife, and the church was collapsing because of it, because they couldn't come into agreement because they wanted something that was never intended to be theirs in the first place. And Paul says, listen, y'all are, y'all are missing the point. So that's chapter 12. Chapter, we jump to chapter 14, and Paul says, hey, eagerly desire all the gifts. What? What? All these gifts are causing all this strife and and, and division over here. But Paul says, eagerly desire the gifts. They have purpose. Here's the structure and here's the order of these gifts. They're intended to further the kingdom. They're intended to edify the body. They're intended for God to be able to give them to you so that they manifest in your heart and in your soul so that you can go out and further my kingdom. That's why the Holy Spirit gives you these gifts. So Paul reiterates that in chapter 14. And I love how sandwiched right in between chapter 12 was the explanation of the gifts and perceiving us the gifts and chapter 14, which is seek the gifts, right? We have this chapter of absolute love sandwiched right in the middle of it because this is what Paul says. Paul says, listen, I don't care if you're the greatest prophet I don't care if you have the ability to lay hands on people. I don't care if you are as good as Kanye and you're the best preacher, speaker, singer out there, whatever it may be. If you don't have this love, nothing else matters. He says, it doesn't matter. I don't care how much you walk in the spirit, how gifted and how blessed you are. If you don't have love, it's absolutely meaningless. So it's exactly placed specifically where it needs to be because Paul knew division was taking place. He said, listen, the gifts of their spirit are real. Walk in them. You want them, receive them, eagerly seek after them but if you literally receive this love that I'm talking about, there's not gonna be any jealousy. There's not gonna be any strife. There's not gonna be any arguments. There's not gonna be any division among you. My church will be built because you're gonna be walking in the purpose that you were created to walk in. And if you're a big toe, then be a big toe. Because when you have the love inside of your heart that he's talking about in chapter 13, you're gonna celebrate the fact that you're a little toe. And you're gonna celebrate the fact that you're a hand. And we're all gonna come together collectively and we're gonna fulfill the kingdom of God and the purpose that he has for the church. And I'm passionate about it, church, because all I see is generation after generation and church after church, these people are selfish, they're sinful, they want it for their own manifestation, they want it for their own good and for their own glory. And all the while, all it does is cause division and strife. And so Paul's passionate about it. He says, knock it off. You used to think like a child and you used to act like a child, but now it's time to be a man and put all the childish ways behind you and step into the calling and the grace and the love that I've given you. He's passionate about it. He says, it doesn't matter if you're the greatest prophet or the greatest speaker. If you don't love, it's absolutely nothing but noise and it's completely meaningless. And he reiterates that in 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 4. He says, If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but I do not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. I'm just white noise. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and knowledge, and I have a faith that can move mountains, but I do not love, I'm nothing says, I can give everything that I own to the poor. And I can say, hey, look at me. Look what I did. I blessed everybody. I did all this. I gave my body over to hardship that I may boast. But if I do not love, I gain nothing. He's saying, stop focusing on the gift itself. Yeah, eagerly desire the gifts of the Holy Spirit, right? But first of all, we have to possess love because overall love conquers all. And without it, without love, these gifts are absolutely useless. First John 4, 8 says, but anyone who does not love does not know God. For God is love. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love, right? If you're taking notes this morning, I want you to write this down and I hope this makes sense to you. We gotta have faith, Right? Right? got to have faith. So faith is our foundation. And the content of God's message, okay? That makes sense? Faith is our foundation and it's the content of God's message. It's the word, right? Hope is the attitude and focus. Like hope is our attitude, right? We have to be joy. We always have to give an account for the joy that we possess as believers, right? So hope is our attitude and it's our focus. And love is the action. So faith is our foundation and content for God's message. Hope is the attitude and focus, and love is the action. And when our faith and when our hope are in line, we are free to love wholly and completely because we understand how God loves us. So what he's telling the church at Corinth is, stop getting caught up in the selfish desires, stop causing divisions and arguments, be spiritually mature, and stop acting like a child. Paul even goes in even further and says, listen, to put it in the simplest form, the gifts that you were walk, the gifts that you that you were created to have, you weren't even walking in those. And here you are seeking somebody else's gift. He said, knock it off. He said, none of it matters unless you have love. And church, listen to this. Love has to be the driving and motivating factor behind everything that we do. I'm going to say that again. Love has to be the driving and motivating factor behind everything that we do. Every decision that we make, every action that we perform, every word that comes out of our mouth, every thought that enters into our mind has to be formed from love because we are absolutely nothing without love. Paul says, seek the gifts, seek all the spiritual gifts, but I'm gonna tell you the greatest spiritual gift is love. And without it, you're absolutely useless. And love is the greatest and the most significant commandment. you guys agree? Matthew twenty-two thirty-five 35 through 40 says this. One of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with this, this question. So you have a Pharisee, you have a religious ruler, and he's trying to trap Jesus. He says, teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? This is Jesus' response. He said, you must love the Lord God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Remember, this is Jesus talking. And secondly, as equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says the entire law, nothing else matters. None of the rules, none of the other things matter. It says love your neighbor as yourself and the entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based solely on these two commandments. And both of them require love. So we've talked about kingdom culture, right? So I want to take a look and say, what does kingdom love look like this morning? Let's look at our model. Who's our model? Jesus, right? Because ultimately, Jesus is love. We just read that God is love, right? Jesus is the form of God in the flesh. So if God is love, then Jesus is love. And ultimately, he's our example. So how did Jesus love? Jesus loved unconditionally, sacrificially, He he loved wholeheartedly. He gave his life out of love. And even while he was beaten and persecuted and hung on a cross, he even loved those people. He called out before his father and said, Lord, forgive them. He still loved them. He died for them too. Even the ones who were beating him and persecuting him, who didn't agree with them, he still chose to love them. Jesus made it a point to go after the unlovable, the outcast, the sinner, the sick, the broken, the needy, the adulterous woman sitting at the well who was banished from the community. He made it a point to seek after her because that's the kind of king, that's the kind of love that Jesus is, right? We're to be that exact example of what he is. His pure, intentional, unending love is intended for everyone not just the people who come in here on a Sunday morning, not just the people that are easy to love, not just your wife and your family and your spouse and your kids. His love was intended for all. So I got to ask the question this morning, church, do we love that way? Does the love that we possess and the love that we express, does it magnify that of Jesus? Do we seek to love the unlovable or do we just choose to love the ones that love us? do we even fathom or understand what kind of love this actually is? Because Manny and I were talking last night and I said, I don't even think there's a word and a language or any expression in our English definition that can even come close to describing or defining what this kind of love is, right? Because it's not necessarily to be defined. I can't. I can love, I can say I love people. I can say I love you, but you know what? I love tacos too, right? I love tacos. I'm not even denying that. Like, I love y'all. I, lo- I think we use it a little bit loosely. I love you. I love you, Cam. I do. And I love the Chiefs when they're winning. But in the same sense as I love my Chiefs, the moment that they start playing like trash, then I'm starting to yell at them and my expression that's coming out of me isn't love it's bitterness and it's hatred. And then I'm throwing my popcorn to the TV, right? It's not the same love. We just say we love, we love, but truthfully, we just love those who love us. Only Christ has the power to possess this kind of love. You know why? Because ultimately he's the one that created it. He's the one that created this type of love. And when we invite him in to take control of our lives and make him Lord and King, he fills us with his Holy Spirit, enabling and supplying us with this powerful love, right? It's something that we invite him in and it manifests inside of us because we can't do it on our own. I can't say that I'm gonna love the way Jesus loves. I have to have his spirit inside of me because he's the one that created it. I can't define it. I can't express it. I can sit there and say that I that I, I kind of have a similarity of know, knowing what it is, but ultimately I can't maintain it unless I allow Christ to manifest it inside of me so that it's an outpouring to everybody that we come in contact with because ultimately it was intended for all people, right? Corinthians does a good job of describing it, but even even in the fullest capacity, even in the biblical truth, we can't even experience the magnitude of what this kind of love is. But Verses four through eight give us a really, really good description. This is Jesus, right? This is Paul talking, but this is what he's talking about, the kind of love that he's describing here. This is Jesus. Jesus is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrong. Amen. As far as the East is from the West, our sins are cast, right? It keeps no record of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Love. And Jesus never fail, amen? Is that kind of love, that kind of love, is that the priority of our homes? It should be. Do others observe this kind of love by the way that we live our lives? Do they see Christ in us and through us and know without a shadow of a doubt that he is the one who reigns over our hearts and our lives? Do we love the way that Jesus loved John 13, 34 through 35. This is a commandment that Jesus gives you. He says, so I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Love each other. How? Just as I have loved you. I've been patient with you. I've been kind with you. I've given you grace upon grace. I've forgiven you. I'm not gonna gonna hold the records of wrongs against you. He says, love the way that I loved you. You should love each other because your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. The way that you choose to love others is living proof that Christ reigns in your heart. Marie, you can come on up. So we're kingdom-minded families and our, and our theme's kingdom culture, right? Like we've looked at kingdom families in the Sabbath. We've looked at kingdom families and forgiveness. So what does this type of love look like for kingdom-cultured families. What example and proof are we showing to a watching world? Or better yet, what takes precedence in your homes, in your life, and what do you value as important? A lot of questions today, a lot of reflection today. But if we were to ask your friends and your family, your coworkers, your bosses, this community, your leaders, or even your children, what the most important thing is. If I were to ask your kids, what's the most important thing? What's your priority of your home? What would the answer be? What do we prioritize as Jesus followers? Is it to be successful? Is it to excel in academics? Are we driven by fame? Are we driven for great athletics? Is it to be successful in our careers, to sell the most houses, to make the most money? Is our priority to encourage our kids, you got to make the team. You got you to achieve good grades. Is our priority, listen, you're gonna act this way. What's the focus of our homes? Lord, our children say, the most important thing that we implement is to love like Jesus. Pastor Mark talks about James a lot, the book of James, right? And in the book of James, he literally tells us, "Faith without deeds is dead," right? Or "Faith without action is dead," right? Which means you can have all the faith you want, but unless you unless you put it to action, it's worthless. And I'm going to go even further and saying this: faith without love is useless. Faith without love is useless. Church, if we're going to establish a kingdom mindset and a kingdom focus, then we must prioritize loving God and loving people over everything else. The main thing is how we love God. Remember, it was Jesus who said, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments, right? Do you love Jesus? Do we fully obey his commandments? Do we love the way that he loved us? Is our love an expression that he literally is Lord of our lives and we're abiding in him? Our our obedience is an expression of our love for God. Our obedience is an expression of our love for God. And it's our responsibility as kingdom seekers as Jesus' followers, as men, as fathers, to be the priests of our homes. Amen? It's our responsibility. He's given it to that. He's given you free reign and free will. It's not Pastor Mark's job to be the priest of your home, right? You're responsible for that. You have a role and a purpose. So it's our responsibility as kingdom seekers to be the priests of our homes to ensure that the main thing is not is never replaced, even with good things. Listen. The main thing has to stay the main thing, which is loving like Jesus, right? To experience this this entirety of love because once we do that, then we'll understand everything else will fall into place. But it's our responsibility to not let that priority change even even with good things. Good grades, success, excelling athletics, selling the most houses, making a lot of money. Hey church, that's all good stuff. It's not a sin, right? That's not sinful stuff. That's still good stuff, but listen, that's not the priority. That's not the priority. These things, even if they're good, should never take precedence over love. So we must intentionally and continually allow love to be the driving factor behind everything that we do. Our home should be so rich in love Our kingdom families experience the greatest outpouring of love, not only inside this church and in this community, but in our own homes. And our greatest calling church is to love, amen? When we commit to this way, when we commit to to love the way that Christ loves us and express that outwardly from within, his kingdom will flourish. And there won't be division and there won't be strife And there won't be breaking down. There won't be separation. Because love will be what holds us together, right? Love will be the defining factor and the driving force that encourages us to continue on. And our families will persevere through the valleys and rejoice in the mountaintop. Because love never fails. Amen.